it simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. On this episode of the Tea with Mike show, I welcome to business owner and influencer uh, Martin Sibley to the show. So as always, grab a cup of your favorite tea and sit back and enjoy. Hello guys and welcome uh, to uh, the Tea with Mike show. Uh, joining me uh, for this one is uh, Martin uh, Sibley. Uh, welcome to Tea with Mike. Awesome, great to be here and thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, no worries. So did you did you want to tell everyone, first off, uh, kind of uh, where you grew up and uh, where you call home? Yeah, well, I understand that we're fellow Brits. I believe you're originally from the UK, right? Yes, and I and last year, not by intention, but I didn't actually have that many uh, British people on, on my show, which <laughs> is ironic considering that a part of the show is all about tea. So I'm definitely looking to set the record as straight this year. But yes, that yeah, is true. We, awesome. Yeah, we can get stuck into some good uh, tea talk soon. But yeah, general backstory is I, I grew up in Cambridgeshire in England. Um, obviously not been that far in recent times with the pandemic and the lockdowns and everything. But generally, um, yeah, quite a jet setter, entrepreneur. And um, for those that obviously can't see me, at the moment, I'm actually in a wheelchair. I'm having to use a power chair all my waking hours. And that's been ever since I was a, a kid. So, um, yeah, it's kind of my life's been framed by disability on some levels with challenges. But also it's given me a lot of opportunities that may not have happened in, in, a, in a different parallel universe as well. Absolutely, man. So uh, as you referred to, uh, you and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm definitely no expert. Um, uh, so it's my understanding that you have a disability uh, called spine, spinal uh, musc muscular uh, atrophy, SMA. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about this and how it's affected your life, both as a child and in the present day? Of course, absolutely. Yeah, it's quite a mouthful to say, isn't it? Spinal muscular atrophy. Um, so we'll, we'll use it by the acronym SMA. And um, I mean, the, the science part... I've probably learned more in more recent years to a better level of comprehension, but the, the kind of everyday way of explaining it is that it's genetic. So my mum and dad don't have the disability, but the two genes came together that when I was born, I have the condition. It's like a neuromuscular disability. So it means that I've never been able to stand up. I have quite limited upper body strength as well. So I, I, even the sort of moving around my arms is quite difficult. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm always in a power wheelchair in my waking hours. Um, I have a kind of care team that assists me with getting dressed and washing and kind of daily living stuff. Um, and obviously for people that aren't as used to that world, which I'm sure many of your listeners maybe haven't come across that sort of level of disability, it, it definitely gives off a a kind of a, a sympathy or a pity narrative in people's mind. I think that there are lots of reasons that we can explore around the kind of media and the history of disability. But, you know, for me, if, if my health's in check and my wheelchair's working and the care team are all, you know, around me and, and all the sort of inputs are there, I've been able to, to live a very happy and fulfilled life. And I think that you know, it's partly a positive mental attitude. It's partly the world has got better for disability over years and decades. Um, and I end up now, my, my work is very much around entrepreneurship, social media, 
and disability inclusion and it's a it's a real life mission to make the world inclusive fantastic man and and obviously there's a, there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days but what what strategies have you kind of uh, developed over over the years to help you uh, d- deal uh, w- with the disability more so on the bad days yeah yeah funny enough i did a live stream today i i try and do a sort of daily live stream of sharing you know thoughts and experiences and it 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 resonates with disabled people but as you said at the beginning i think there's universal values and i guess in essence on those down days it's it's perspective it's gratitude it's knowing that the good days come and the bad days come and they all pass and that sort of ebb and flow of life really but i know you asked me in the previous question about the kind of growing up side of of having a disability so i think i'm in some ways fortunate that i'm of a generation i'm in my late 30s where going to mainstream school was more possible i think prior to that there was a lot more segregation in in education for disability so I think that, you know, I've always been surrounded by both disabled and non-disabled people from a young age, which I think is important, where disabled people obviously understand the particular lens that I sometimes have to view life through, but then not to be pigeonholed and defined only by disability. Um, And I think, you know, in in those younger days, definitely my mum and dad took the brunt of you know planning journeys and how would we get with a a heavy wheelchair into transport into buildings would there be some negative you know attitudes and discrimination the sort of barriers that we that i generally talk about with disability in a broader way and i suppose that for me the strategies that i then have, have gained have come from my parents and growing up and then being an independent adult i've had to you know, take those on my shoulders and find find my own way, which I'm I'm in a good stride now. But when I first left home, it was quite a challenge, as you can imagine. For sure, man. And then, so, so what what were some of your kind of uh, favourite subjects in school? Yeah, some to some degree, I think the subjects that we're all good at, we we enjoy. And because we enjoy, we put more time in, so we get better at it, right, as a general observation. So I've always been quite good at maths and geography and economics. They were the kind of topics I got more like A's in. And um, I went on to do A-levels. Obviously, the the US listeners, I don't don't know what the comparative would be to A-levels, but it was a sort of 16 to 18-year-old level. You might be able to clarify that one, Mike. Yeah, I, 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 well, in in North America, it's just uh, it's just it's it's high school uh, from the eight, from like grades nine to twelve. So that's like age. I think it's like fifteen to eighteen. It's like you know yeah, how you, 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 yeah. So you know how in England how it's like five years and you can go all the way through. It's like they have a elementary school elementary school middle school and then high schools and it and you change schools every like three years which is like <laughs> like quite different yeah so i guess yeah. they just cut it into three basically right 
Yeah, that makes sense. I've learned something new, which I love learning something new every day. So thank thank you for that. And yeah, I mean, in essence, I, I did those three subjects to that higher or more focused level. I then did economics at university and then a master's in marketing. So I, I really went through uh, you know, higher education to master's level and ultimately ended up studying kind of business and marketing. Uh, and what and what was there anything that influenced you um like to go down this particular path in terms I mean, of charts yeah yeah sure i think partly as i said before it was just that basic i was better at them i enjoyed them so why not double down on them and there wasn't a massive plan that oh when i leave uni that's exactly the thing i want to do i always say as well that when i did my masters it was as much to have another year of partying at university as it was to actually do a master's. So that certainly wasn't um, wholesome, only wholesome academic motives. But I guess around that time I was at uni, I definitely got into the sort of biography of political leaders and entrepreneurial leaders. And yeah, I started to aspire to, to that kind of when I leave uni, I want to do big things and kind of change the world in some way. Which you are definitely doing in more ways than one, and we'll get to that a little uh, late, later on. But obviously, as a theme is the grass is not always green. So what were some of the challenges uh, when you were in school? Yeah, I mean, I suppose I briefly mentioned the general barrier and challenge to being a wheelchair user is is access to the environment. So, you know, the, the schools I went to had to have ramps and elevators and um, support staff and all, all those sort of, as I call them, like the inputs for me to be fully independent. Um, so that's definitely one challenge. Um, I think the secondary school, so that's the sort of 11 to 16 years old in, in England and the UK, um, I had to go further away because the local school didn't have enough provision and that that was really difficult leaving all my you know friends that i'd been very close with from sort of five to eleven years old um, that was a big challenge and then even though i adapted and met new friends and kind of settled into that new school eventually it made socializing harder because my school friends were like half an hour away and i kind of sometimes felt a bit in the middle between the older friends and the newer friends and the geographical uh, difficulties. But, you know, in the end, I still went to the after school parties and my parents were always very helpful at picking me up from nightclubs when I was 18, 19, before I went off to uni. So th there's always been solutions, but it's always been harder to plan and harder to do. Fantastic, man. And it sounds like uh, uh, your parents have uh, been very supportive of the journey. Yeah, 100%. I think that, you know, the, the general positive attitude I've got definitely comes from my parents and the sort of problem solving uh, angle, you know, is, is partly nature, partly nurture, but yeah, absolutely from parents too. Nice. And then so what, what's kind of one piece of advice that you um, that you would give to someone uh, uh, that's, uh, I guess, slightly younger than yourself uh, living with a disability and then also more broadly uh, to people living in their community? Yeah, great question. I mean, uh, I suppose without jumping the gun onto some of the things I've done since uni career-wise, but I started blogging 
in 09 and it was very much what did I or what what would I've wanted to hear when I was a disabled teenager and obviously when I was a disabled teenager it was pre-blogging pre-social media I think vaguely remember internet and sort of AOL messenger but you know it, it was way before the kind of Facebook social media era um and yeah so when I was looking at well what did I need and and kind of aka what does a, a disabled person in their teen years now need I, I think the advice is like just go out and forge your own path I think that you know that there's so many different parts of advice that fire off in my head that I that I'd love to pass on but that that best one is just kind of tapping into what you're passionate about what you enjoy the kind of contribution you want to give to the world and society and don't let stereotypes and as I touched upon earlier that kind of media narrative of disability has been a little bit negative and sort of sub story over the years and of course there are challenges and there there are real adversity that we have to raise awareness of in the media but I think that more than ever yeah it's possible to get out there and, and kick ass but you have to lead that you have to do that yourself you can't wait for someone to do it for you fantastic and would you say that um, the um, media coverage on uh, this particular topic is improving over the years i mean it, yeah it's, it's getting better so after i started blogging quite quickly i think you know being able to have a voice by something like blog and social media you can connect with journalists as well more easily and so I was very quickly invited onto the BBC. I've written for The Guardian and other newspapers. I've been on you know, BBC radio as well as TV. And yeah, I think they're more open to, it doesn't have to be tragedy over triumph. It doesn't have to be welfare charity story. It can be, you know, run of the mill, someone that's great at sport, someone that's good at business, someone that, you know, just doing cool stuff that almost happens to have a disability. And I think it's more getting more balanced, but I think the mainstream media have still got a little way to go as well. A little way to go, yes. All right, and then let's dive a little, let's go back a little bit to your uh, university days. What were some of the most important skills and kind of life lessons you learned from uh, going to university? Yeah, so I suppose some of the academic parts, you know, research, doing public presentations, writing you know essays like of course that helped going into the job market and then what I'm doing more recently entrepreneurially but I probably would say that was the lower part of the real value it, it was you know not relying on mum and dad I, I had a team of care assistants but I had to direct them as to what my what I wanted help with what my day looked like you know starting to realize that if you don't ask to have your clothes washed, that there's not the magic fairy of, of mum or dad anymore. So, yeah, I think as, as anyone will have experienced, it's just that realising that, you know, um, financial management, being able to buy and cook the foods you like and maybe a bit later on learning that you can't always eat the bad foods. You have to sometimes eat more balanced and healthily, which probably was more a 30s thing that I learned. But yeah, just just all that kind of independent living stuff that that happened just by leaving home and and going through that big disruption to my life. Now, and so you raised a, a very a very important point about the importance of uh, communication. 
And um, so, like, what are the what are the best ways uh, to communicate with uh, people to ensure that you get thi- get things done? Basically, what what are some tips and tricks? Yeah, I mean, it's um, again, I I often look at you know, if I didn't have this neuromuscular disability, would my almost like my personality traits differ? And so the reason I say that is that I know that I am a strong, powerful communicator. And it's, is that nature? Is that nurture? And is there some level of my disability that I've always, always had to communicate help on the most basic things? So that's just quite an interesting thing to, to put out there and for everyone to, to, to consider in, in general. But and, and say not just about disability, but in, in all of our different ways. I think in terms of your question of communication, I think there's just around listening and empathy. So I, I've definitely got better at knowing, you know, that whilst I've got my needs and I have to have certain things done physically, it's never, my mum even taught me this, it's never cost anything to say please and thank you and to have that, that you know, politeness and those sort of uh, valuing other people's support. And then, yeah, just very much kind of asking questions of the care team. How's their life? What are they up to? Yes. Just, just being human. I mean, it, it, it's almost hard to give tips on it because it does, it has to be authentic and natural, not premeditated. Right. So but it, but it ultimately yeah. is caring about people, right? Right. And it's about uh, being real and being in, in the moment, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Okay. It, it can't be sort of, uh, I'm asking this question because then they're going to help me more. Like, that's just manipulative. But when you just genuinely care about people's happiness, you get so much more back in abundance. Fantastic. And uh, we'll pick up on uh, this train of thought again in a moment, but uh, we're just going to have a a little uh, tea break. And so uh, today's uh, tea fact is, uh, bear with me for the pronunciation. Uh, So the, and then it's spelled K O L U. K K U M A L A I, tea estate of Muna, India, is uh, the highest uh, tea estate in the entire world, and that comes from SeriousFacts.com uh, slash tea facts. So that's a little bit, a little bit of tea history for you today. I love that. Very difficult to pronounce as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so seeing as we're, uh, we're, we're having a little uh, tea intermission, like, what's your favorite type of tea? I hoped you might ask me that, Mike. <laughs> I, we, we've got, so my, my fiance is Polish, and we've got this cupboard full of all sorts of different teas. My answer to your question at the moment is Earl Grey, which is a probably quite a solid English answer. But um, no, I mean, no, we, we've got a big variety and I do drink various types of tea throughout the day. Fantastic. Uh, and how would you de- how would you describe this, uh, like these different types of Polish uh, t- like teas in terms of taste? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess there's some, there are fruity ones, definitely a, a genre, if you like. But yeah, generally quite herbal. And um, my, my fiance is very into natural sort of health, natural food. And so, yeah, just very healthy teas and all sorts of flavors, but the herbs are doing the good stuff health-wise. And so, do you guys uh, drink any uh, green tea? Because like, I've learned just through research a little bit that 
uh, green tea is like very healthy with the I think it's like the oxidants and and that how it's like for, uh, formulated it makes it has lots of natural health benefits. Agreed. Like oh, I'm not gonna blag some level of knowledge I've not got, but I, you're right. There's a lot of antioxidants. It is healthy. Um, I when I tried it a few years ago when I was in Japan, I didn't really get into. I just couldn't quite enjoy the taste. And about six months ago, I tried it again, and I'm I'm into it. And my favorite is a green mint tea. So it's got a mint flavor with it, which is delicious. Nice. And I only bring this up because we like we naturally fell onto the t topic. But um, uh, later in the year, I'm going to be having a, a tea expert from Japan on the show. So I, nice. I, 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 I guess I guess we'll learn a, like a whole lot more. So that's cool. Indeed. Looking and, forward okay. to hearing that. Yeah, for sure. And so, okay, so, and, and then back to you, uh, your story. So obviously, uh, you're the co-founder and uh, CEO of the, uh, the Purple Goat Agency. So can you tell us a little bit about it and what inspired you to set up this cool sounding funky agency? <laughs> yeah, I think that the baseline is there's sort of an intersection of my work around entrepreneurship and business social media marketing and disability and inclusion so for five years after uni i worked at a large disability ngo so that's where i got a lot of that grounding in the professional sort of you know economic political civil rights side of disability and then um through blogging i've become known as an influencer i've been voted one of the uk's most influential disabled people and then awesome. through That's that cool. journey, I sort of started a magazine and a travel company for disabled people, which we actually were acquired by Airbnb. So there's a few other projects and, you know, um, initiatives over this last 10 years or so. And then really it's culminated with Purple Goat, whereby it's a specialist social influencer agency for disability. And we're really clearer than ever on the business case of why brands and governments should be more inclusive of disabled people. There's actually very big numbers. It's 1.3 billion people globally that spend around $8 trillion annually. And so businesses are quite frankly missing out on you know good employment and employees and oh, wow. on consumers. So that's where we are. We're at that intersection of that whole area. Nice. Uh, so so what, what type... What, what, what type of uh, businesses do, uh, do you work with? Yeah, so um, very well-known, big tier one brands. Um, you know, sort of a, some of them we're not allowed to talk as much of course, of course. about, but, yeah. um, you know, supermarkets, um, e-commerce, you know, uh, streaming, home streaming video companies, et cetera, et cetera. And also we work in the disability space where, you know, there are big companies that manufacture and sell wheelchairs, adapted vehicles. All but, right, okay. you know, our, our value proposition is helping connect disabled consumers with all these different types of brands. Fantastic, man. And then, so, it, uh, when, I, when obviously you uh, sent through a little bit about you, uh, so I could do some preparation. Um, so you, uh, you describe yourself as, quote, a regular guy who happens to have a disability, end quote. Uh, so did you base uh, the answers to the questions on your agency's uh, website on your own uh, kind of like personal experience of uh, the marketing and branding industry? 
Um, yeah, do you mean like how much of my personal experience has yeah, become Purple Guy? Part, yeah. part of a part of your agency and like the core and the mission and the values. Yeah. Any any of that type of uh, thing. Yeah, understood. I mean, I think yeah, undoubtedly, when you're an entrepreneur and a, a founder, and I've, I've got I've partnered with a large influencer marketing agency that have like exploded in their growth the last five years. So that's brought a wealth of knowledge and experience that has helped us kind of fast track this. But yeah, I mean, a, a lot of my values are very much fed into the ethos and the belief and the mission of the agency. But I think the important step from me as a blogger and an influencer to the agency is that we're getting many other disabled influencers involved. So I'm not the one always creating the content or speaking at conferences, which I still do, but we're creating economic, you know, job opportunities for lots and lots of other disabled people. So we're, we're really finding it's a win-win-win that it, it benefits the community and it benefits businesses and it benefits us as an agency. That's fantastic. Uh, one of the coolest parts about it is uh, is creating opportunities and, and jobs for others that probably didn't exist even like back when you were finding your path, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think when I started blogging, I was one of the first disabled you know, blogger influencers that, that were out there. And luckily now that with Instagram, YouTube, there's so many people in really amazing niches, like there's disabled beauty and fashion bloggers, there's disabled football, you know, experts, like, it goes on and on and on. And so we just help connect the dots with whatever the brand campaign is, we find the right influencers. And particularly in the pandemic, you know, unemployment is larger for disabled people as a general stat. And I think that the pandemic has had a, a confounded, you know, compounded effect, but we're actually being able to create, you know, create opportunities in lockdown as well. Oh, yeah. that's cool. So, 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 so just because it's a natural progression, how has the pandemic affected uh, your business and, and how, how have you kind of adapted? So we were planning to launch around April, May, a few months in the making, sort of end of 2019, early 2020. So Purple Goat was already happening, but we went into lockdown at the end of March in England so we actually launched the agency after the lockdown started and i probably would say it, it, it would have been a similar trajectory but because of the pandemic we've definitely had more business opportunities oh, okay. that where you know events actual events and conferences have been shut down um and i think you know i know you and i follow gary v a lot we understand the sort of modern you know social influencer space is generally where where it's going to and where it's at and i think the pandemic has just pushed a lot of marketing budgets to go there and that's where we are that disability expert agency so i you know it's been a horrible difficult time for many people and we, we all know those challenges but on a business level it's probably been a benefit actually oh because of the the transformation from going from like a 300 person event to now like they need to get the, the same attention but online right yeah, and we can bring out exactly exactly fantastic man uh, so 
So can you tell us a little bit about what people um, that are living with uh, disabilities um, need from a, a brand, almost from the kind of the consumer perspective? Yeah, so I guess there is the, the physical, tangible aspects, like, you know, if it's a product, has it been designed with particular kinds of disabled people in mind? We often segment the community. So you've got mobility and dexterity, which I probably would personally fall into. You've got uh, visually, like kind of the blind community, uh, hearing the deaf community, neurodiversity is sort of learning disabilities and autism and that kind of stuff. So I think we have to just understand that it's not a homogenous group and there are different needs and wants. But I think first off is the, the physical product designed with user testing of these different segments, are buildings you know, architecturally designed with these different disabilities in mind. Then there's the kind of service level, the sort of training and you know just the openness and being aware that everyone has different needs and, and that's kind of whether you're disabled or not. I think customer service is about having that empowering staff to, to be more comfortable with everybody's difference. I guess that even it similarly goes into the diversity and inclusion agenda, right? It's just about being a brand that is just welcoming to all humans. Um, but in the end, I think that the core need is to be seen and to be heard and then to be included in the design phase. And then once that's, and it's been getting better, once that's improved, it comes back to then doing inclusive marketing as well. Right, and probably also spreading awareness and that, that educational aspect too, right? Yeah, and I think as much as we've got charities and we've got media that have a responsibility, we're now working with these big brands where they realize there's a social responsibility for their customers and, and for the greater, you know, for the world. So, we're, yeah, the, the brands are stepping up to the plate to help support the disabled community because it's just the right thing to do and it makes business sense. Gotcha. And, 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 and do you want to expand a little bit on uh, kind of the role that um, uh, Purple Goat Agency uh, can play in uh, striving for uh, this big uh, positive change? Yeah, I mean, to say there's a brand, they've got 200 million pound or dollar marketing budget. And we know that around 20% of the population has a disability. So in theory, you could take 20% of the marketing budget and then work with relevant influencers, create awesome content, educate disabled people on the brand. You could educate the brand's community on disability. But ultimately, it's just about bridging the gap from the disabled community with the rest of society in a non-awkward, non-fearful way. It's very much about bridging gaps and having open conversations. Fantastic. And uh, apart from obviously uh, the great work that uh, you're doing, who, who, who are some other kind of, I guess we're using the phrase uh, disability uh, influencers, who are some, who, who should uh, people um, go, go check out maybe on social media or that type of thing? They're doing inspiring work. Sure. So in the US, I I have less breadth of knowledge because obviously I've just got that more UK Mm. focus of where I'm living. But definitely in the US, 
um, Squirmy and Grubs on YouTube. It's a, they're called an interabled couple. So Shane actually has SMA, the same as me, and Hannah doesn't have a disability. Um, they were, they got engaged, they're now married, and they very much raise awareness of the sort of stereotypes and sometimes the prejudices that society has on their relationship just because literally because he has a disability they they get some weird and wonderful reactions and comments so squirmy and grubs um in the uk there's someone called tess daily um is a phenomenal yes. sort of beauty yeah. do you know tess yeah yeah we've seen her on bbc sports personality and also at the like paralympics right Ah, yes, yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, yeah, some amazing people, um, I think you're thinking of Tammy Gray Thompson, oh, yes, the, the Paralympian, yeah, oh, yeah, um, wheel, wheelchair, right, yeah, yeah, wheelchair, that's Tammy yeah. Gray Thompson, yes, and then cool. Tess Daly does more like the beauty fashion stuff, right, but yeah, I mean, Tammy Gray Thompson's a phenomenal influence, as you say, on the sports personality awards and Paralympic, and she's now involved in politics in our House of Lords, and, and oh, again, cool. we, we could go into the differences of the US and the UK political setup, but it's probably simpler to say she's an amazing political lobbyist now. <laughs> Fantastic, man. And um, so how how important is uh, the Olympics in uh, bringing awareness uh, uh, to these uh, types of communities? Yeah, so I, I love the conversation about Olympic and Paralympics. So... Uh, the kind of history of the Paralympic Games. There's a couple of films out there that I definitely would recommend. Well, one was um, all about the good. The guy was Dr. Goodman, and he sort of there were round spinal injury, uh, particularly because of World War Two. There was a lot of soldiers coming back that had to use wheelchairs. So that sort of around that variation of points in history is where the Paralympic Games comes from. Um, another general disability rights, disability awareness film on Netflix is Crip Camp. So definitely I recommend everyone looks at that. And there was another one called Rising Phoenix, which is very much looking at the more yeah. modern Paralympic Games. So just a few for everyone in the other lockdowns, a bit more viewing options to get stuck into. But I think for me, where the, the Paralympics made a massive difference, particularly in the UK was 2012 in London. And I think disability had those narratives I was talking about earlier, more segregated, more charity, more pity. And suddenly these icons were just thrust into the mainstream media. And, you know, just like the, the kind of bionic leg stuff. And it, it just brought this whole yeah. amazing narrative, right? And I think, yeah, that's just been really powerful from about 2012 at the London Olympic and Paralympics, which then has seen more representation in media and film and TV. So it, it has a really positive legacy. The one little downside I would observe is that a lot of disabled people feel almost like a pressure to be a Paralympian, otherwise they mm -hmm. failed. And, you know, it's bloody hard being a Paralympian. <laughs> it's a lot of training. And not everyone is built for that kind of, you know, that's not their future. Mm -hmm. So as always, there's that balance of we don't all have to be a Paralympian, but I think it certainly changed the narrative in a positive way. Yes, yeah, and so, so obviously, as we've been alluding to, uh, since you've left university, 
and you become a disabled influencer on a quote mission for a fully inclusive world. So not only are you a presenter, speaker, the author of everything is possible, an advisor to governments and businesses and charity, and the co-founder of Disability Horizons a magazine and a podcaster. So if you take all of uh, these amazing achievements, what have been some of the, uh, uh, the challenges uh, that you've had um, more on an independent level in uh, your journey? And then what skills have you learned as you've uh, gone through these experiences? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things you were talking through, like the book, the podcast, the sort of general influencer stuff, I think we all know that it's like we all have to be that personal media company, that personal media brand. And so that that's just been so much fun taking, in essence, my message, which is that disabled people can do cool shit as well. That, that kind of general essence is one way of putting it. So, yeah, I mean, and I think coming back to your point about challenges, there was like when I left the job at the charity in 2011, there was a lot of unknowns about how to make an income, how to self-publish a book, how to do a podcast. Like, you know, you've, I'm sure, been through similar challenges with sure. getting set up and all the great stuff you're doing. And so there's been many, many different kind of challenges, but I suppose the skills that are more universal are around, you know, kind of dreaming big, like don't, don't be held back, so let your imagination run wild. Um, have good people around you that can help partly cheer you on but partly find the answers that you need to find on the way I think collaborating and partnering has been a massive benefit like I you know there's a point where we think we have to do everything alone but even if you're like a sole trader or an entrepreneur it's still really nice to, to work alongside your peers and your fellow influencers and and I guess even just connecting on these kind of interactions now is always learning, um, you know, through this kind of thing. So yeah, I, I think ever the eternal student, um, there's always something new to learn every day, like I said earlier. But ultimately, the best way to learn is by doing and not overthinking and over philosophizing. Fantastic, man. And then so obviously, at despite everything uh, going on and all of the successes um, that you've had, uh, these are all clearly uh, A, time-consuming and B, often uh, pose challenges every single day. So how do you ensure that you take care of your own mental health and also uh, medical health? And then also what happens if you neglect either of these and like what impact and effect does it have? Cool. So I guess taking the health, sort of physical health side, I'm if lucky is the right word, but I, I'm fortunate within the realms of my disability that I don't have chronic fatigue or chronic pain. I think, you know, other types of disabilities where there's this underlying constant tiredness or constant pain is a is a whole other challenge. You know, once I'm up and I'm in my wheelchair and I'm cracking on I'm you know able to then do a full day's work and all that kind of stuff so sure. um I, I guess just to, to tick that off other than the the support we talked about earlier generally health-wise I'm okay then in terms of just probably like anybody as I alluded to briefly earlier as well 
I got into my 30s and realized that I couldn't just live off junk food and I couldn't keep going out really late partying and drinking alcohol and get up early and have no no side effects from that um and so yeah I definitely the last sort of five years have you know introduced better food tried to get good night's sleep and it it's kind of health 101 but it's actually something I had to learn for myself because there were times that I felt burned out or I got more unwell because I'd been you know sort of not looking after myself and then I think to your point about mental health I mean it's all quite similar that the way that we should have you know good exercise good food good sleep I think there are just some general you know things in our routine around mental health and I think it just comes back to like self-awareness making sure that I don't overwork because I probably have a tendency to be a bit of a workaholic if I'm not careful so you know the kind of taking the dog out for walks and getting fresh air and all that kind of stuff but definitely last year I I did feel a sort of pinch point that I'm used to traveling a lot and being you know locked down was really really difficult like many many people listening I'm sure but um, I I have had a couple of times where I have spoke with a therapist and I, I remember having a stigma about mental health and therapy and I, I felt awkward in myself, but then I also felt awkward if others would judge me. But I found it the most positive experience that I just got to talk through things over my life that definitely had built up and I was able to sort of change my beliefs and change my relationship to those stories to feel more positive and empowered. That was the perfect sound cue. <laughs> no, forget, and then just to kind of wrap up today and go in a completely different direction and talk and I was very fascinated by these additional parts of your life so talk to me a little bit about how you drive an adapted car you've flown a plane and you've done skiing and scuba diving yeah um yeah, they were all pretty crazy experiences. I mean, in terms of how they came about, when I um, got going with the blogging, had a lot of the mainstream media attention, I left that job at the charity partly to travel more. And it was like the more I travelled, the more I got invited by tourist boards to other destinations. And they kind of wanted me to do more crazy stuff. So that was where all these weird and wonderful opportunities came from um i mean yeah i go into more detail in the book if people want to go into more depth but it, it was a lot of you know people having to physically lift me and me trusting strangers to take me down scuba diving and up in a plane and you know definitely a leap of faith but um really amazing that that technology and those sort of organizations that are adapted for disabled people like me exist and to touch upon the car, we have a scheme in the UK that funds the adaptions on adapted vehicles. So it, it's kind of like a, a handlebar on a bicycle that has accelerate and brake on thumb buttons. And then literally the the, the handlebar steers the car um, the way that any other car would obviously move. But yeah, it's just super adapted and super cool, really. 
And did it when you uh, first started driving? Did it did it take you a while to like get used to it? I mean, it, it did, but I suppose the other point to remember is that someone else that's learning to drive has to get used to the wheel and the the foot pedals for the first time. So I was just getting used to my controls. But once I got, and I've always been like loved playing on PlayStation and arcade games, yes. and so and, and also I've always driven my power wheelchair, so I've got quite good spatial awareness as well. So yeah, after a couple of goes, I I was in the groove and. Uh, yeah, I've driven all around Europe in the in the car and done sort of oh, twelve-hour drives. Yeah, it's a, a lot of miles clocked up in that car. Fantastic, man! And well, thank you uh, for sharing uh, your story today and uh, chatting with me. Oh, absolute pleasure! I've been really looking forward to meeting you, Mike, and uh, thanks for what you're doing with these amazing episodes and interviews. No problem, man. Uh, looking forward to, uh, to getting to know you a little better, but, uh, kind of more about what you do uh, offline too. Uh, well, guys, this was another episode of the Tea with Mike show uh, with uh, Martin uh, Sibley. Uh, if you enjoyed uh, this episode, because hopefully you found it on uh, teawithmike.com, uh, drop a comment so uh, we can get some uh, feedback and some uh, takeaways. And uh, thanks again uh, for watching. Thanks, Martin. Thank you. It's the Tea with Mike show.